You are listening to the Purpose Church High School Ministry Podcast. Whether this is your first episode or you've heard them all, God has something to say to you. Our vision is to see every student everywhere following Jesus, and we hope this message helps you take your next step in your faith. To learn more about our high school ministry, visit our website, purposechurch.com HSM, and check us out on Instagram at purposehsm. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Here's the question that we're wrestling with. We are in an amazing series, and friends, I want to encourage you, invite your friends to the rest of this series. We're talking about some really, really important stuff, and tonight... The question we're going to wrestle with here during our message, but then mostly in our life group time, is this. Can't we just be good without God? Can't we just be good without God? Why why can't we just be good without God? To help me answer this, uh, I need to invite up one of my mentors, heroes, and friends, Peter Hidalgo. Can you come join me up here? Can you guys welcome Peter? Invite him up here real quick. Okay. All right, we love Peter. Um, raise your hand if you love Peter. Raise your hand if you love Peter. Raise your hand if you love Peter. All right, cool, cool. Um, raise your hand if Peter has been nice to you at some point. Raise your hand if Peter's been nice to you at some point. Okay, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, we love Peter. He is absolutely amazing, right? He's just, he's just an awesome dude. We love Peter. Raise your hand if you love Peter. Now, what you don't know, what you don't know is I'm Peter's trainer, okay? And if you're listening to this on audio later, I just punched Peter in the face. Okay, so, um, just kidding, I didn't punch him in the face. Now, let me ask you a question. <laughs> you're getting... Okay, let me ask you a question. Here's a question. That was pretty fast. You guys seen Flash? Okay, here, let me ask you this question. How many of you thought what I just did to Peter was wrong? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you thought what I did to Peter was wrong. If every hand's not up, what's wrong with you? Raise your hand if you thought what I did was wrong. Let me ask you this question. Why? Why? Who raised that? Josiah, did you have your hand up? Did you think it was wrong? Why? Just because? Cool, that's not a good enough reason. I can keep pushing them. Just kidding. How about over here? Alejandra, did you raise your hand? Did you think it was wrong? Why do you think it's wrong? Why was it wrong? Who cares? I know, you guys are like, dude, if you're new, you're like, who is this freak, right? Like, his morals are jacked up. I mean, so Jack, what's, what, was, that, was that wrong, what I did? Why? We're both bald? That's true. That's true. Bald dudes got to stick together. Bald dudes got to stick together. Carter, was it wrong? Why? God calls us not to hurt each other. Says who? That was good. That was good. Here's my question. Peter, you can have a seat. Can you guys give Peter a round of applause? Who's to say, who's to say that pushing Peter is wrong? Who's to say that that is not okay? Or, Or is it possible that it's wrong for you, but it's not wrong for me? Is it possible that you could believe, yeah, that's not okay, that's evil, that's mean, that's wrong, but it not be okay for me? Do you see this question, can't we just be good without God, is a really important question because underneath that question is a much larger question. What is it or who is it that defines what goodness is? 
what definition, what standard of good are we measuring our actions and our lives up against? In the culture that Jesus was born into, there were some common practices, some acceptable practices, in fact, some regular things that occurred that nobody thought was wrong. In fact, everybody was okay with these. Let me share a few of them with you. When Jesus was born, the culture he was born into practiced the gladiator games. Thousands of people would gather in amphitheaters and they would watch oftentimes slaves and unwilling people literally murder each other. And, and, and there wasn't any pay-per-view. There wasn't, you know, none of these slaves or participants were making money. They were fighting for their lives. Thousands would gather to watch them kill each other. And it was completely acceptable in his culture. Another practice that um, was very common in that day was something called pederasty. Pederasty was where older Roman men would molest younger boys as a way of some kind of perverted mentorship activity. In the culture Jesus was born into, nobody saw a problem with this. In Greek mythology, which was um, uh, at the kind of in the water of the culture that Jesus was born into, Greek mythology and Greek religion taught that women were Zeus's evil creations. And so the culture that Jesus was born into not only said that women were property, but that they were literally evil by nature. There was a long-standing tradition that the head of a Jewish household would start their day each morning saying this prayer. Thank you, God, that I'm not a Gentile. Thank you, God, that I'm not a woman. And thank you, God, that I'm not a slave. Totally acceptable in that culture. And maybe worse of all, the Romans back in the first century practiced something called exposing. Where a Roman family, if they didn't want a child that was theirs, they would, and usually if this child was a girl or a child with disabilities, they would literally expose that child out to the elements. They would leave that child out in some abandoned wilderness area or just outside to be killed by wild animals, to be scorched by the sun. And this was acceptable. This practice was considered okay. Do you see the problem with defining good according to our own thoughts? You see, the problem with thinking and defining this as good and this as bad according to how I feel or according to what is culturally acceptable it leads to things like that. In fact, Rebecca McLaughlin, she says this, if you look at the history of how we came to believe that it's not okay to enjoy watching innocent people getting killed, that men and women are equally valuable, or that poor people should be cared for, or that it's not okay to leave a baby outside to die, the answer is one person, Jesus. That he's the answer. And here's why. Because God says you matter. That's the first, that's the second fill in the blank. God says you matter. How do we 
define what is good and what isn't good is according to what God says. God says you matter. In fact, let me make this clear. Every person matters to God. Genesis 1.27 says this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Every single person, every one of you in this room, you matter to God and your life is valuable not because of what your culture says, not because of what your boyfriend or girlfriend says, not because of what people think about you or how high you scored on the SAT or what college you'll go to or what zip code you're in. You are valuable and you matter to God because he created you. But it's not just generically that everyone matters to God. Even Let's break it down. Babies and children matter to God. Matthew 19, 13 to 15. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and to pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. The disciples were like, yo, don't bring your little snot-nosed kid near Jesus. Like this guy, this guy's royalty right here. This guy's a celebrity. You want to bring your like influenza baby near Jesus? I don't think so. Because in that culture, kids weren't valuable at all. Kids didn't matter. But look at how Jesus responds. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. But check this out. Sick people and outcasts matter to Jesus. Matthew chapter 8 says, When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy. This was the worst kind of skin disease known to man. Many people, most of the people in the culture believed that if you had leprosy, you were cursed by God. Nobody wanted to be near someone with leprosy because it was an incredibly infectious, contagious disease. But look at what Jesus did. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. The culture says, this man with leprosy is not good, is not worthy of love, should be outcast, should not be a part of our community. Jesus says, I beg to differ. Jesus says, I love this person and they matter to me. Let's go to the next one. Women matter to Jesus. In a culture that believed they were an evil creation from Zeus, in a culture believed, enmeshed in, in an ideology that women were objects to be used and, and property to be exploited, it says in Luke chapter 10, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be done. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. She's saying, Jesus, culturally, Mary should be in the back in the kitchen with me. What's going on here? And then look at what happens. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Mary sits at the feet of Jesus as a disciple, wanting to learn from him. 
And Jesus says, I want her right here. This is right where she should be. People, people of different ethnicities and different cultures matter to Jesus. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 3. So Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? The fact that a Jewish man is talking to a Samaritan woman of a completely different ethnicity, a completely different culture than him, was unfathomable in that culture. But because people of different ethnicities and cultures matter to Jesus, he's there. Rebecca McLaughlin said this. In 2014, a historian named Yuval Noah Harari published a best-selling book called Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind. In it, he says that the idea that human beings are equally morally valuable and that there are such things as human rights, which are basic protections that every human being is entitled to, is just a fiction made up by Christianity. This is a huge statement. This is an atheist speaking who does not believe in the existence of God, and he says the idea that there should be human rights is a lie made up by Christianity. Here's an atheist recognizing in his own words that it is Christianity and Christianity alone that gives value and worth to people, not atheism. And friends, maybe some of you, if you're exploring Jesus, we're so glad that you're here. Maybe you would even identify as an atheist or you're you're not sure that God exists. If you don't believe in God, then there's no basis for you projecting your morality on me. If you don't believe in the existence of God, then there's no ultimate absolute truth. There's no standard of morality or standard of good that we all are called to. And so you could murder someone, you could hurt somebody, and I may not like that you did that, but I could not project onto you that that was evil or wrong. And in the same way, you couldn't do that to me. He goes on in his quote, he says, speaking to someone who doesn't believe in God, Harari says, human beings have no natural rights, just as spiders, hyenas, and chimpanzees have no natural rights. If you're in this room and you don't believe in God, and that makes you a little angry to think that people don't have rights, you can only feel that way if you believe there is some higher standard above yourself, some divine standard that we are all accountable to. See, friends, this is why Christians, Christians were the first to invent and to build hospitals, not atheists. And some of you, you're smart and you've read about all this and you're going, okay, hold on, okay, okay. But, the, but slavery is mentioned in the Bible. It's not forbidden in the Bible. And, 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 and there were those Christians who owned slaves even here in America. And, and you're absolutely right about that. But, but before you jump all in on the YouTube video that you watched or the one-minute Instagram reel that you watched, let me give you the whole picture. 
Let, let, me, let me give you the story so that it's in context and you can understand it a little bit better. Tim Keller talks about how slavery in the Old Testament was a form of bankruptcy law and was more similar to indentured servitude. So here's what's really unfortunate is even in our Bibles, when we see the word slavery or somebody was a slave, we immediately, especially as 21st century Americans, we think of the kind of slavery that happened here in our country. But those are not the same. The kind of slavery that's mentioned in the Bible is very different from the kind of slavery that was here in our country. In fact, even then, even then, after uh, uh, somebody becoming an indentured servant... Because of, because of some bankruptcy, ba- ba- bankruptcy, basically because they didn't have enough money to pay their bills. They would become a servant in this person's house. And even then, slaves were freed after six years of work, even if their debt was not paid off. And slaves were never owned. In other words, if a slave ran away because, it was being mis- because he or she was being mistreated, That slave was freed, and if the slave was hurt by its master, the slave was set free. The kind of slavery that we see in the Bible was dramatically different from the kind of race-based, unending chattel slavery, which is where somebody could be bought or sold and owned forever that was happening here in the United States. In fact, this guy named Kyle Harper, he's a top scholar in the area of ancient history, especially the Greek and Roman histories. He said... This guy, Kyle Harper, said this, that up until 300 to 400 AD, no one ever explicitly said that slavery was wrong. In fact, Aristotle, raise your hand if you've read Aristotle, if you've heard Aristotle in school. In fact, get this, Aristotle, Aristotle said, some people deserve to be slaves. Some people are fit to be slaves. But in the fourth century, the Cappadocian fathers, Basil and Gregory of Nicaea and another Gregory, who were like these three Greek bishops, they were reading the scriptures and they they wrote about this. They determined that people are infinitely valuable as image bearers of God and thus can't be bought or sold. They concluded that no Christian should ever have slaves or own people. That Christians, they were the first people in the history of the world to say slavery is wrong. And and slavery is even addressed in our New Testament. In in fact, there's this passage where where Paul advocates for the freedom and the full inclusion of a runaway slave. In in the book of Philemon, it's this really short book. It's literally one chapter. You could read it in like one minute and be like, I read a book of the Bible. It'd be awesome. So try to read it. It's good. It says this in Philemon chapter 1 beginning verse 8. Therefore, although in Christ, this is Paul speaking, although in Christ I come, be bold, oh, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now an old, also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. Verse 15. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dear to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. 
So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Here's Paul in a culture where slavery was acceptable, advocating for the freedom of this runaway slave. Do you see how the teachings of Christ and the Bible, they were revolutionary in their day. And they've continued to actually shape ours, whether we recognize it or not. And so what we need as we wrap up is we need a standard of good for every one of us. Rebecca McLaughlin, again, she says this. If there is no God who created the universe, there is no universal right and wrong. We can all just have different opinions. But if there is a creator God, he has the right to tell us what to do. Just want you to think about this. In a world where there is no God, every person gets to decide what's right and what's wrong. And in every single culture and every single time period where people have been able to choose for themselves what is good, what is right, what is wrong, women and children have always been the biggest victims. That on our own, we're not in a good place. It's why in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things. And beyond cure, who can understand it? What it's saying is, apart from God, our heart is broken. Our heart leans towards selfishness, leans towards us getting what we want, leads towards evil. But then in Psalm 51.10, it says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. There is a way to be made right. There is a way to be made good. There is a way to see things the way God would want us to see them. But it's not from looking within us or listening to what our culture values. It's from allowing God and God alone to change our hearts. Students, I want to challenge you. I want to lean. I want to press you for a minute. Are your definitions of good and evil shaped by your culture, shaped by your desires, or are they shaped by God's word? What is it that ultimately tells you this is good and this isn't? The reason I trust God, one of the reasons I trust God is because I know my own heart. I was driving home the other day, you guys, and I was just thinking about like all the ways I've messed up as a husband all the ways I've messed up as a dad, all the ways I've hurt people's feelings. And I was just thinking, man, on my own, I'm not any good. And if you guys knew half of what goes on in here, you'd be like, dude, I don't want to ever talk to that guy again. But I have a way to be made right. I, I, there's a way for my heart to be purified, for my mind to be transformed for me to not only become good, but to see and understand what is good and evil, and that is only by the transforming power of God. Romans 5, 6 to 8, let's jump to the last, uh, Romans 5, 6 to 8 says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. This is what Christianity is all about. Is that while you and I were running away from God, trying to make up our own definitions of what good is and what evil is, while we are hurting other people, Jesus gave up his life for you. And he gave up his life for me. God demonstrated his love for us through his death and his resurrection. And so what do we do? Here's what we do. Philippians 2, 5 to 7. In your relationships with one another. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So why do we value the lives of women? Not because our culture affirms it or doesn't affirm it right now, but because Jesus valued the lives of women. Why do we value the lives of babies, the lives of sick people, the lives of prisoners, even the lives of our enemies? Why do we value those people? It's not because our culture does or doesn't say that we should. It's because we understand good based on what God calls good. Paul says, have the same mindset as Christ. I'll double down and say, what, what mindset most dictates how you think and feel and act? Is it what everyone else is doing? Is it what everyone else is saying? And at times, you guys, following Jesus is going to require you to believe things that just sound crazy at times to the world. And at times, loving Jesus and having the mindset of Christ is going to require you to forgive an enemy that doesn't even deserve it. Having the mindset of Christ is going to require you to love people that are hard and to choose to trust that what Jesus says is true, what the, what the Bible says is true and good, is true and good, even in a culture that doesn't affirm it. Because remember, the culture Jesus was born into said a whole lot of crazy things that you and I now would be repulsed by. Oh, they think it's fine. They think it's okay. 